covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for being tuned in. We come your way for another week's worth of Brewers talk, looking back at the week that was, looking forward to the week that will be as the Brewers are set to return home for a six-game homestand. Before we go any further, our housekeeping items here at the top of the show. If you do listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast and want to leave a ranking and review and also subscribe to the podcast, that would be awesome. And if you ever want to get in contact with me, the best way to do so is on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. It really was an eventful road trip. A lot of things happened for the Brewers. They did a three-city, nine-game road trip, and those are always tough, and the Brewers have three of those. Uh, it, that's that's some tough scheduling, really, really tough scheduling to have as many uh, three-city road trips as the Brewers have. But nonetheless, uh, they lose their first two series to Atlanta and Cincinnati before they come back with a win, taking two of three against Miami. Here's what happens during the course of this road trip, because as, as I mentioned, a lot of things happened. Colton Wong plays in his 1,000th career uh, Major League game on Sunday. He had a big game. He reached base five times. He went uh, two for two. Uh, just a just a nice day for Colton Wong. He even admitted after the game that he was kind of hyped up with it being the uh, 1,000th career game uh, for him. Josh Hader making history during the trip as well. He gets to uh, 500 career strikeouts. Does that in 293 and two-thirds career innings. He is the second fastest in Major League history to get to 500 strikeouts. Only Araldus Chapman did it faster. He did it in 292 innings. So he did it in one and two-thirds innings faster. And Josh Hader makes a little bit of history as he picked up a save in his 13th consecutive game to start the season. That is, uh, that's a new record. It breaks the previous record that Lee Smith and Jose Mesa had shared. Smith did it with the Orioles in 1994. Mesa did it with the Pirates in 2005. Christian Yelich hit for a cycle against the Cincinnati Reds, and he hits the for the cycle for the third time in his career. So he becomes the fifth member of the three-cycle club. Even more impressive, He's hit all of his cycles against the Cincinnati Reds, and he becomes the first player in Major League history to ever have three cycles against one team. So that is something. That's a lot. That's a lot that happened over the course of a nine-game road trip. Also, something that we'll be watching on Monday, we'll be seeing uh, with Willie Adamas. He injured his ankle uh, when he was sliding home during Sunday's game. X-rays came back negative. They're doing some more imaging uh, on Monday and they should get uh, a little bit more of an idea. But Craig Council said after the game on Sunday that he was day-to-day. I've said this before. I'll continue to say it. Uh, our featured conversation this week is with uh, Matt Carroll from Reviewing the Brew. And we talk about this during our conversation, which uh, I've already recorded, so I know what's coming up. Uh I still feel like this is a Brewers team that's looking for its identity. Maybe it's not looking for its identity. Maybe that's the wrong way to put it. Has not yet shown its identity. I guess that would probably be a better way to describe who they are. And look, we're we're, we're less than two months into the season. We can have this conversation at this point of the year, I think most seasons. Uh, but at times it feels like some of the numbers and what we're seeing with our eyes are not connecting with each other. 
Like the Brewers are a really good offensive club statistically. They are one of the top offensive clubs from a run scoring standpoint, from a home run hitting standpoint, from a OPS standpoint, from a slugging standpoint. Uh, there, there's a lot of different statistical categories that the Brewers are among the league leaders in. And at the same time, it feels like this is a team that from an offensive standpoint sometimes just kind of doesn't show up. And a lot of these offensive numbers have been connected to some of these games where they've scored a ton of runs and we're still early enough in the season and the sample size is still small enough that a handful of games with big-time run production can kind of skew the numbers. So at this point, you look at what they've done offensively. You appreciate the fact you don't. You know, I'm not dismissing who they are from an offensive standpoint, but you also, I think, look at it sometimes and say, okay, well, well, they're doing this in the aggregate, but what what are they doing on a game-to-game basis? How many times have they been shut out? How many times have they scored three runs or less in a game? And you look at that, and that probably tells the story a little bit more. But that being said, they're still putting together a really nice offensive uh, profile to start the season. From a pitching standpoint, it feels like pitching should be leading the way. We know who these starters are. We know what the starters are doing. But when you actually look at the overall numbers, whether you're looking at them just overall, whether you're looking at them from a starters-only perspective, whether you're looking at them from a relievers-only perspective, essentially they're kind of a middle-of-the-pack pitching team. And it doesn't feel like they're a middle-of-the-pack pitching team. It feels like they are a, a very elite pitching team, especially from a starting pitching standpoint. But there's a handful of teams that have a better starting ERA than the Brewers do. So the numbers, the stats, and who they are at this point in time, it doesn't really feel like they're they're completely lining up. You get into June, and then that's when I think the stats and who a team actually is start to kind of align better. But right now... It's an interesting story to tell with the stats because that story might not completely describe and illustrate what's going on with the team, if that makes much sense. All right, uh, as mentioned, our featured guest this week, Matt Carroll. He is one of the uh, site experts with uh, reviewing the Brews. Let's get to this week's featured conversation. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra is the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We're very happy to welcome up back on to the program. He is uh, one of the site experts at uh, reviewing the brew. He's also uh, one half of the Cold Brew podcast. And you can even hear him uh, weekly on uh, the score up in uh, the uh, Appleton Oshkosh area. He is Matt Carroll. Follow him on Twitter at MKEMatt13. Matt, we're, we're having this conversation less than an hour after the season came to an end for uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks. I know you were uh, locked into that. Obviously, uh, maybe baseball can uh, be a little bit of a respite for some Bucks fans out there that are quite sad after the way that thing uh, finished off. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, you know, obviously bummed that we're not going to have a repeat here for the Bucks, but Brewers coming off at a series win and heading back home. Time to really lock into baseball season now, right? Yeah, and man, I, I should go back and like listen to my podcast and my post game shows from you know a month, month and a half, two months into the season in previous seasons because maybe it's always this way. I, I still have a hard time getting my hands around this team. Like 
Offensively, it's a bit of a roller coaster, even though their aggregate numbers show that they're one of the best offensive teams uh, in, in baseball. Uh, from a pitching standpoint, we know how good most of the starters are. Uh, relief pitching outside of the high leverage guys, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. Like, I'm just having a hard time really grasping who this team is. Are you dealing with the same things? Yeah, I think so a little bit, particularly with the offense. I mean, we know the pitching was going to be good, and for the most part, it has been. Yeah, they kind of had a little blip on the radar against the Reds on the road, but I think that's going to be an out-of-the-ordinary performance. Starters will continue to be just fine for the most part. At the very least, the the good half of the bullpen will continue to be dominant. But it is that offense that, you know, they put up a lot of runs in a lot of games in this latest stretch, but then they also scored three runs or less in four of those games. So, you know, we, we see guys come alive, and then we see a game where, um, they dip back down again. Now, one of those games was against Pablo Lopez, who's been one of the best starting pitchers in the league this year. So, you know, credit to him, obviously. But yeah, it, it's it's hard to put a full gauge on them, especially knowing like we know that this is a talented offensive group at their peak potential. So to see them kind of go through these ups and downs is a little bewildering at times. But I mean, that again, those of us who've watched the Brewers offense over the last few years, maybe that's just something we should be used to by now. Yeah, I guess I would say then then maybe that's something to be a little bit alarmed about because it did feel like at times last last year it was uh, there was some inconsistencies with who they were from an offensive standpoint. And then all of a sudden you get into the postseason and you can't score, and I think most people are high, holding this year's version of the team to a higher level where some sort of deep playoff run is is the bare minimum that, that you would want to see at least a trip to the, to the NLCS. I feel like a lot of Brewers fans would be unhappy with anything less than that, and all at the same time is I, I just – you look at the offensive numbers, Matt, and they're really good. They are really mm-hmm. good, but they are really good in part because they've had an 18-run game and a 14-run game and an 11-run game. Like they've had these single big games, which kind of put those offensive numbers out of, uh, you know, I, I think, the number that you mentioned. You know, how often have they scored three runs or less? How often have they scored one run or less? How often you know, have they just had a really tough offensive games? And then what percentage of their total games make up those kind of performances. To me, that's maybe the number we should be looking at because that's going to tell a better story than these kind of gaudy run scoring numbers that they have overall, largely because of just a handful of really big performances. Right. And you also can't completely discount the fact that the Brewers have played a lot of teams with losing records this season. That's where, you know, a good portion of their wins have come from and a good portion of their high scoring games have come from so yes that has happened but at the end of the day you know the brewers are still leading the division they're they still have one of the best records in the national league i think a lot of us will feel a little bit maybe more comfortable with the brewers potential when we see them against some of these better teams and see them hopefully take some series you know we've got a good one against the padres coming up on the road uh, not this week, but next week. They're about to play the Braves at home. I know they have a losing record, but they're still the Braves. So you win that series and you still feel a little bit better. And then the Cardinals are coming up too. So I, I think maybe that would provide a little bit of relief to some Brewers fans. But no, I, th- I, I think all of us are still struggling to grasp truly what this team is. And now, you know, 
I hear a lot of people say, and I, I tend to believe this as well, that like really until you start to hit June, that's you don't have a full idea of what a team is going to be. And you're coming off of a shortened spring. It, it seems like teams are now kind of starting to round in shape, but it, it is still early. So um, there's still time to kind of settle into their groove. And hopefully that's what we kind of start to see over the next couple of weeks as some more quality teams come up on the schedule. Yeah, I agree about the two month thing. That's why I always thought it was so ridiculous that the, you know the sixty game season that they had a few years ago uh, due to COVID, and I understand why they did it. But to evaluate teams on a sixty game regular season was so crazy. When I think people who really follow the game closely, for the most part, almost just throw away the first sixty games as meaning you know almost nothing. All you got to do is just you know at least tread water through the first sixty, and then you and then you go from there. And the Brewers have obviously done more than that. You mentioned who they play. You can't control the schedule. The schedule is right. what the schedule is. The Brewers can't control the fact that they're in a division with two really bad teams and then a third kind of bad team when you're talking about the Pirates and the Reds being really bad and then the Cubs are kind of bad. Um, and, and maybe the Cubs are really bad too. Maybe we should be, maybe all those three <laughs> teams are are in the exact same spot. So it comes down to the Brewers and the Cardinals as being the only teams in the division that seem to be even, you know, above average to good teams. And I think they're both good teams. Uh, you, you can't control that. And I guess things are going to change a little bit moving forward. Jim Goulart, we had him on the podcast last week. He made a great point that uh, next year when they get rid of the uh, scheduling model where you play the game teams in your division so much and you play everybody, all of a sudden the advantage that the Brewers have by playing in a division where generally one or two of, of these teams is in a really bad spot, you're not going to have you know the 18, 19 games against them moving forward. Right, that's very true. Um, but who's to say that you know you're going to have an NL Central division that's this week every single year. Some years it might actually be good that we don't have to play teams in the division as much. And, you know, the other side of the argument, too, is that you also now get to play bad teams from other divisions more consistently. So, you know, who knows if that kind of balances out? Um, I think it's more a year by year basis, how that positively or negatively affects the Brewers. But like you said, all you can do is play the teams that are on your schedule and the Brewers have done that, and for the most part, obviously, have come out on the successful side, judging by their record and standing within their division. And we've seen over previous seasons that there are teams with losing records, sometimes the very, very bad losing records, that for whatever reason the Brewers struggle against. Like, I think to last year, uh, the Royals, for whatever reason, the Brewers just could not put them away. Uh, and so far this year, with the exception of just a couple speed bumps, the Brewers have done what they needed to do. And that's all you can ask. Yeah, it was the Royals and the Twins last year. That the really Twins, yep. Prop. Yeah, it was so weird because those teams were really bad teams in the AL Central and they just could not beat them to save their lives. Mm -mm. No, and the Twins, at, at, at the very least, going into the season, we thought were going to be good. Um, and they just, for whatever reason, weren't. So they've now kind of turned things around. Uh, last I had seen... But yeah, it just it, it, they'll do that with those teams last year or certain teams, uh, certain years where the Pirates, even when they're bad, just give the Brewers headaches. And this year they're not yet. But, you know, it's just those weird things. And those are things that happen over the course of 162 game season. Um, every once in a while, you know, they might catch you at a bad time and you catch them when they just happen to have a hot series. And oops, we dropped one to a really bad team. But those are the types of things that happen. As long as it works itself, 
out overall, things are going to be fine. And so far, I mean, they've performed well enough to give us all the reason to think that they're going to be competitive the entire way. Yeah, and you know, from an offensive standpoint, there's a lot of really good stories going on. I think Hunter Renfro and Roddy Telez and the power that they've shown. Uh, Willie Adamas, you know, after a little bit of a slow start, his power has come back. Luis Urias uh, coming back from the injured list, he's made uh, a profound impact. Uh, when Tyrone Taylor's been in there, he's been able to play well. Obviously, Christian Yelich, his numbers are clearly in a better spot now than they've been in the last couple of years. It was good to see Colton Wong here recently have a couple Colton Wong uh, type games. I mean, all, all the way around, it feels like there's a lot more good stories than not so good stories about this Brewers team. And even with them struggling on this this last road trip, going below 500, uh, it, it, they're in perfectly good shape. They had a three game lead in the division going into the Sunday night game between the Cardinals and the Giants. So that's either at three and a half or two and a half uh, by the time people are listening uh, to this podcast, depending on what happens in that Cardinals Giants game. But I mean, there's just this team has done a perfectly fine job in terms of wins and losses, but it's just at, at this point of the season, it just feels like when, when something doesn't go right a few times, uh, it's easy to look at that and say, okay, is this something that they're going to be dealing with all season? Or is this something that is just part of the early season aspect of baseball? Right. And, and I, I agree that it probably is more so just everyone kind of trying to, you know, settle in a little bit. If you look at this last week, I mean, Aaron Ashby comes into that Braves game with a .93 ERA, I think it was, as a starter, and has his first bad start of the season. Um, in the Red Series, you have, you know, a couple uh, blow-ups there as well. Those things, those, you know, our starters, our, our bullpen looks the way we expect them to, and it's a winning road trip. I mean, that's the difference there, and that's the strength of the team that we know will be fine going forward. So, Really, we could be talking about a completely different situation when it came to this last week of Brewers baseball. Um, so, but to to your point, I think the fact that the key offensive players for the Brewers have looked better recently, more often than not, is what should give fans encouragement going forward. Really, outside of, I mean, you can name it like maybe Lorenzo Kane, but even Kane has been looking better. Lately, he's had a lot of bad luck with a lot of his um, hits being hit harder, going right to people, um, just kind of all kinds of stuff with him, which has been unfortunate. But he even he looks like he's looking a little bit better. Maybe there's just times where it's not clicking at the same time. But overall, I get the same sense as you that there's more good than bad from the players, the Brewers players behind the plate. And that's what I expect to see going forward and is why we should have some optimism towards the team. The one area that I, that I do think could use a boost is the bullpen outside of Josh Hader, Devin Williams, and, um, and Brad Boxberger. And we can throw in Trevor God in that group and we can probably throw Brent, Brent Suter into that group as well. But like the, the Sunday game is a great example. What happens in that game? If if Ashby was not on the time through the rotation where he's working as a bullpen guy, if he wouldn't have been available, it seems like close games for the Brewers where maybe the starter only goes five and you're looking to cover that sixth inning or games where you're down by a run or two. So you're not super comfortable going to that high leverage guy uh, in the seventh and the eighth inning. Those have been the, the games where either the Brewers have lost a lead or uh, the, the deficit has grown because of the bullpen. And 
outside of last year, David Stearns has an incredible track record at going out and acquiring relief pitchers who give this team just fantastic innings. Last year, it was a swing and a miss on that with the two guys that they acquired, but that was kind of the first time that happened. That's the one area on this roster, and it's funny to be talking about this on, what was the date? May 15th, but if there's one area of the roster where it feels like, okay, they really could use a little something extra, it would be in the bullpen. Yeah, I very much agree. I think coming into the second part of the offseason, the post-lockout part of the offseason, bullpen was something that I hope they would address, and they really didn't do a ton outside of what they got pre-lockouts. They end up getting Urania late, which I, I, I kind of question, and now he's not even on the team anymore. Um, but I think looking at the bullpen, you know, you knew you had that strong back end of the bullpen. Um, Boxberger technically was a reacquisition, um, but you had him, Hader, and Williams. You felt good about that. Jake Cousins, we thought, was going to be a key part of the bullpen uh, in those high-leverage situations. Council was using him as such to start the season. Well, now he's on the injured list. That certainly doesn't help. Trevor Gott has been a nice surprise. I know he got blown up a little bit recently, but also there were some uh, defensive mishaps that didn't necessarily help his cause. Past that, yeah, you have Brent Suter, and he's been serviceable. It, there's a lot of questions, and I think especially now as we start to see that Brewers have a lot of games to play over the next few weeks uh, with few days off, you're going to see a lot of shuffling kind of back and forth, which is going to test the five minor league option limit rule uh, You know that's in place for this season. Um, it's going to be interesting because you know what of those guys of your Yandel Gustaves of your Luis Perdomos, who I think will figure it out, but um, you, you know you don't know that for sure. He is coming off an injury. Your J.C. Mejia's, your Hobie Milner's, you know, are are those really the guys that you you know feel fully fully confident in stepping up for the Brewers? I don't know. I don't know if there's guys you know down in the minors that they're looking at that they might be able to bring up. There's you know Nashville does have a few guys, uh, Hobie Harris, Peter Strzelecki, or. Um, performing really well do they consider them do they start thinking externally already i don't know but it's something that i think is certainly a situation to monitor going forward and you bring up a fantastic point where every decision you make about sending a guy down and calling a guy up has end of season ramifications to it because now the rule does exist with the new CBA that there's a limited number of times that you can call somebody up and send them down. And if you get past that number, once you're past that number, essentially, if you try to send somebody down, they become available to everybody else in the league to pick up uh, if you do that. So, uh, trying to reduce the number of transactions with relief pitchers here at this point in the season is another kind of key part of figuring this thing out because if you you're not going to send a guy down who you expect to have back up or you hope not to send a guy down that you expect to have back up in another week or so because at that point you're blowing through one of those transactions for almost very little reason right and man doesn't it just seem like all these new rules just always happen to be the ones that affect the brewers quite a bit the three pitcher uh, or three batter minimum comes in um, and kind of Craig Council has to navigate his way around that. Now we've got this. Um, it, they're good things for baseball, don't get me wrong. But uh, it's it's just funny that we're used to the Craig Council and the Brewers operating in a certain way. And then all of a sudden a new rule pops up and like, oh, OK, now we got to figure that one out. But, you know, I have faith that it'll 
uh, be able to get past this as well. But it does put an interesting little uh, kink into things having to throw that variable in now. Yeah, you know, the other thing is, and I think having the DH can help the Brewers in the sense that you get another bat in the lineup. Obviously, Andrew McCutcheon has been a huge part of this team, uh, and he should be back from the COVID list at some point on this upcoming homestand. But another thing that you lose out on that is the the way a game is managed in the late innings with National League rules. I always thought that Craig Council was you know, as smart as he is. That's another advantage for the Brewers. So in some ways, there's advantages to uh, the American League rules, but also some disadvantages to it, uh, just in the sense that Craig Council is not able to uh, make as many decisions in the in the latter innings because of that. Yeah, that is true. But um, as we mentioned that, and as we mentioned earlier, that the Brewers have one of the better offenses in the league, it just so happens to be the year that the Universal DH shows up. So maybe it wasn't such a bad thing after all, because it did give us a little bit of an offensive uh, refreshment here. Let me finish you off with this. Keston here has been okay at the big league level. He's destroyed AAA pitching. He's done that before. It seems like he's still in a place of development, especially since he's kind of changed a lot of things that he's been doing if he's got, and this is actually, I've said this over and over. This is actually a spot where I think having the DH actually hurts, doesn't help because you're giving Andrew McCutcheon those at bats, not on everyday basis, but almost an everyday basis. And you don't have to pinch hit as much. So you're not, not everybody on the bench is getting in almost every single day here is down at triple a right now, just killing it. Doesn't seem like he's going to get the opportunity for every day at bats at the big league level. Don't know if that's good for him to be sitting in the dugout for most games in the big leagues, but don't know if he's getting anything out of being a triple A where he's shown the ability to just dominate triple A pitching. Like, I don't know what to do with Keston here right now. No, it's interesting. And I feel like everyone I've uh, talked to about the Brewers recently, that's one thing that pops up is, you know, what happens with Keston Hero? What's his future with the team? Um, and it's definitely muddy right now. All he can do currently is just you know keep going about his business keep banging away at AAA and have that next man up mentality because we're now starting to see there's that variable of injuries that you can just never predict when it's going to pop up and when you're going to need those guys and now we've had McCutcheon go on COVID IL and now today Adamas in the game ends up hurting his ankle we don't know what his you know long-term availability is going to be short-term or long-term really until he gets back home and gets that MRI if he ends up going on the IL, you know, what do they end up doing with the roster to replace him? Um, do they bring up someone like Bryce Terang, add him to the roster, who's been doing really well, although he's, you know, still pretty young as it is? Um, or do they make it work with someone that they already have on the roster? And does that mean bringing Hira back as a bench guy? I don't know. Um, as for his future, I also don't know that. But the best he can do is just continue trying to work his way through it and I can only hope that at the very least the regular playing time, albeit against weaker competition, but just having regular at bats at triple a can only be a good thing for him at this point. Yeah. I mean, can't, I don't think it can hurt. I just, I don't know how much it's helping. That would, that would be my right. thing. Yeah. Even talking about him being a part of a trade, like what, what is his trade value when he has yet to show that he can consistently hit major league pitching that's the other side of it like I just it, it just it feels so much and I think you're right about an injury could open up a door for him but you don't root for that uh, right. but without something like that happening it just feels like he's in no man's land 
Yeah, and that's a really good point too. Is what truly what is his trade value right now? I tend to believe it would be, you know, as a sweetener, uh, you know, in a deal to try and get someone big for the Brewers. You know, they attach Hira to some bigger name that they currently have on the roster. You know, to pull a you know bigger type deal. But right now, with his value as where it is, you definitely don't center a trade around him. Otherwise, you're really not getting anything back. And the Brewers know what he can be you know, at his ceiling. So they're not going to take back something, just nothing for him. Stearns just does not operate that way. And so if you go somewhere in the trade, that's where I figure he would be. And the Brewers, you know, attach him to someone so that they don't have to give up prospects. But, you know, that's all just, you know, conjecture at this point, like who it's really hard to project his future. And so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if if he gets the opportunity to come back up and play regularly. That's great. We'll see what happens. If not, you know, he'll just have to take the opportunities that are given for now. I've heard people say this, and I think I kind of believe it. But I also I'm not I'm not inside the Brewers front office. I'm not uh, inside the head of David Stern, so I can't say this for sure. But people have said before that the Brewers tend to overvalue their prospects as compared to what they're considered from like a, uh, you know, when you look at the baseball America prospect guide, or you look at MLB pipeline and where they're ranking guys, the Brewers tend to think more highly of their prospects than what the, the, you know, industry says, although that's probably true about many teams. That being said, Brewers have been pretty good, especially in terms of pitching a little bit with hitting. They've been pretty good at developing players and getting players to come up and have an impact at, at, at a higher level. I just have to think that there is still a belief in Keston Hira and that the Brewers valuation of Hira is a lot higher than what other teams out there probably think of him. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. And, you know, like you said, that is going to be the case more often than not. Not probably for teams because they're the ones who get to see these players. They get to, you know, see their development, see what it's like behind the scenes as they're working with, you know, they're hitting their pitching coaches and, you know, everything along the way. So I, I guess I get it from that perspective, but it, it certainly makes it hard to, you know, come up with these trades then um, when you're trying to, you know, potentially move on from a guy or, you know, craft a deal and, you know, put together the right package of people Stearns figures it out more often than not though I mean he did uh swing the trade for Hunter Renfro in the offseason was able to attach a couple prospects to that deal to do so and so you know he does figure out a way to make it work it's going to be especially difficult with Hira though right now because I, I think like you said there's probably a more sizable gap than you're used to seeing in the Brewers thoughts of him versus other teams all right, Matt Carroll joining us. Matt, uh, I think most people listening to this podcast probably are already locked into what you guys are doing at Reviewing the Brew and also uh, the uh, Cold Brew podcast. But uh, give a plug for everything that uh, you do have going on uh, right now, producing uh, content all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, reviewing the Brew, the website continues rolling rolling along. I'm just trying to you know kind of keep up with the news day by day and uh, you know analyze the team and you know give our opinions as we go. Uh, and then the podcast, it's been generally myself and David and yeah, just kind of going over it each week and trying to just figure out, you know, where they're at and where they're going. Uh, last week we had a good, uh, talk about extension candidates actually with the Brewers. Cause that's something that's going to pop up this off season. And so never, never too early to start thinking about it. 
No, and that's going to be a big deal because there's a lot of guys who are up for raises. And when you're talking about the competitive window as it sits right now, the financial aspect of that as well is a is a really big part of it. So that's a I think it's always a good time to be talking about that. And this upcoming offseason is really going to be a key offseason in terms of this competitive window that the Brewers are in right now. Uh, follow Matt on Twitter at MKEMatt13. Matt, thanks so much for the time. Always enjoy it. And uh, we'll do this again real soon. Absolutely. Go Brewers. That is Matt Carroll joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And that's just about going to do it for uh, the program today. Uh, I've been reminding you over the last few weeks that if you ever go to WTMJ and you hear a Bucks game, that means you can hear Brewers baseball on 94.5 ESPN. Well, unfortunately, the Bucks had their season come to an end on Sunday when they lost to the Celtics in game number seven. So uh, it's going to be a while if, if it will happen again. Again, it may not happen again this year. Every Brewers game from here on out, unless I'm not thinking about something, uh, maybe on a WTMJ. So there you go. Brewers and uh, Brewers Extra Innings, our postgame show. A reminder for you on the postgame show, if you uh, are living outside of uh, Wisconsin where you can't get WTMJ on your radio, but you want to listen to Brewers Extra Innings, you want to interact, you want to talk about the game, you can always do that by streaming. And uh, while outside of Wisconsin, the stream is blocked during the network radio broadcast, when we get into Brewers Extra Innings, uh, the stream goes back live. So you can, of course, uh, listen to the program live. and love to hear from you uh, during those shows as we uh, discuss all things uh, Brewers baseball. That's going to be uh, the focus here in Wisconsin sports now moving forward, especially with the Bucks out of it. All right, uh, my thanks to uh, Matt Carroll for joining us. Thanks to you for being tuned in. We'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.